Hey everybody, welcome to Probably Dad's Podcast. Uh, it's going to be episode, official episode one. Um, I'm Phil, this is Evan. Probably Dad's? We're probably dads. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the deal. People say that to me like <laughs> a lot. They're like, you're a dad? Like, dad dot dot dot. I'm like, probably a dad. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I have children, yeah. but I don't have you know, those white Nikes and I don't wear jorts, but I'm still probably a dad. I meet the criteria. Yeah, I meet the criteria. Almost, almost levels. Um, so what do we got lined up this weekend? We are going to interview each other. Gross, but I'm in. Yeah. And you know, we talked about this um, last week. We kind of that was why it was episode zero zero zero. You know, we wanted this week to be our first episode where we actually, if you notice. Got the studio a little bit more decorated. It's not a construction site. We're not breathing in dust. Um, well, we still kind of are, just not as much as before. And on top of that, you know, we've got everything a little more situated, and we're a little more familiar with uh, our setup, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the tone in here, or well, aside from the decor, but just the background, I think, really makes it pop. You talking about old glory right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so... I don't, you know, I don't know if we mentioned this before. We're both veterans. Um, Evan was in the Air Force. I was a Ranger in the Army. Um, you know, and we—that's part of our lives. But now we're both uh, civilians, working, family life. You know, just living, dad. trying to enjoy ourselves. So dad life, a good dad life. Um, well, thanks for listening, and we'll get started with the podcast after uh, a minute. You remind me of my father. some dads took action basically what do they want for father's day uh for the media to stop portraying dads as buffoons all right so we're back um so i think i'll i'll, I'll lead into this first kind of but this will be just a regular conversation uh we were both just laughing about uh <laughs> you had been watching a podcast today and the and i guess the uh they were talking about um you know, doing drugs at a young age can possibly hold you back. And then we were both kind of laughing that maybe we had experimented uh, with some things as as, young, as teenagers and we might not be at our full potential. I'm like, you know what? I don't care that I'm not running NASA right now. That's not on my agenda. And then I remember that you who actually had, you were a contractor for NASA. Yeah. Um, you had openly... Uh, criticize the level of intelligence of the people working at NASA just because you know you worked were working with them. Yeah, I, I'll say this. So not not everybody at NASA. I'm not going to criticize everybody at NASA. They but did get us to the moon allegedly. They, they did uh, eventually. Um, allegedly. But I, I'll tell you this. So we had a pretty significant scope for NASA uh, my previous job. And so I had all these expectations of what, what it was going to be like to work on a NASA facility and mm -hmm. inside and see the inner workings of the pieces and the, the assembly facility. You're expecting that, like white lab coats and nerds, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, when I got there, I was surprised to see that most of the engineering was farmed out to companies like Jacobs or um, outside engineering firms. Yeah. 
And the actual people that work for NASA are just government employees. They're just people that are there very similar to the military. Um, just kind of. Really? That is. I'm not going to say this, but they're just, just hiding out, so to speak. Yikes. So <laughs> the, the, kind of the, the specific mission we were on was uh, the, uh, the core stage mission, which is the core stage and the pathfinder that'll take us to Mars. Yeah. And the inner stage tank and the core stage tank, which we were responsible for transporting from a fab like an outside fabricator that they farmed out. Yep. We transported those components, which are huge. Yeah. You know, 300 tons and, and above, uh, 300 foot long by 28 foot in diameter. I mean, just these now huge what are, what components. Are these, what, 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 do, what do these components go to? These are the, the actual, like the, the, all right, let me just put it in layman's terms, but yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. The big fuel cell. Like the, 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 oh, the, the things that like go up yeah, with the rocket. Like they the, go up with the uh, actual shuttle, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Which in this mission to Mars, the shuttle will look something totally different than in previous missions. Really? Yeah. The Is part that classified? That, the part Can we talk about that right now? So I never really saw it, but it was, it was relayed to me that, you know. Is, oh, they just told you like, yeah, it's not going to so look like, like the. When you look at stuff. the old missions uh, into space, I, yeah. I don't know if whether they were on the moon or whatever, but the, the, the missions going to the, uh, the space station, all that good stuff. Those you see, the the, the two um, solid rocket boosters on side of this big fuel cell, and then you got a spaceship glued on top, sandwiched, I guess. Yeah. So can you hear me on that? Yeah, talking yeah? to that. Talking to that. Okay, good. There we go. So the classic missions you see to go in outer space are yeah. you see the solid rocket boosters, which are the SRBs, and then you have the inner stage or the core stage, which is the, is the big gray tank. It's the big it's the one. Big one. The that's big, one that the holds all the, the fuel. Right. Yeah. That's one that holds uh, all the fuel. That makes more yeah. sense. So you so have the two fuel. booster rockets yep. and then you have that big fat, exactly. big fat one in the yeah. middle. That's the fuel cell. That's the big fuel. cell. that's what gets ah. you to the outer atmosphere. Gotcha. So, and, for instance, when Columbia or the Challenger, whichever one exploded, um, that's the one that the solid rocket boosters had faulty fittings on, or uh, I guess you could call them. You know that one exploded seals. on my birthday, my first birthday. Yeah, yeah January twenty eighth, nineteen eighty six. So I was born in eighty five, January twenty eighth. Yeah. So like while they're celebrating my birthday, they're like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we we're both you know infants, but toddlers, but uh having to go back and work for these guys, I went back, kind of researched and did my homework on all the, the significance on all the stress that they were putting on every different little component that we were handling at the NASA facility. Cause all the stuff was already made. Yeah. We were just, we were the ones out there, iron workers out there handling it. But all that being said, I, I got to the NASA facility and I was like, man, I don't, I don't see any rocket scientists. There's uh. nobody out here. Like, yeah, the people that design this stuff are engineers, but I can't say that like the people putting it together are not. No, not at all. <laughs> pull, pull that arm down a little bit, like bend that go. elbow towards you. Towards me? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Like, see how I got my elbow kind of like uh, this? I got you. Like that. No, no, no. Uh, Unlock that a little bit. And yeah. this this up. There you go. Now uh, you can lock it. Lock it. In. There you go. That's all right, what's yeah. up, dog. All right. All right. Um. But yeah, you know, like the pinnacle of my career working for NASA. Yeah. Uh, moved to Baton Rouge, um, opened up my own office over there. Was camping out in Louisiana. Had all you know the the mecca of the the petro and uh, petrochemical and refining market was over there, and then and then NASA. 
So I was hitting all these top accounts, man, meeting with all these really uh, high-level And you officials. work in – now, I know, like, your your primary focus now is cranes, and that's what you were in before, but there was also, like, logistics and just moving and dealing yeah. with, like, massive – so like super, right? yeah. The the easiest way to describe it was super heavy hauling, yeah. Super heavy transport. So yeah. the show on Discovery Channel, mega movers, mega movers. Sorry, yeah. um, we've been on that a few times. I, I hadn't personally, but some of the jobs that Barnhart's done has, and um, super heavy lifting. So some of the yeah. biggest cranes in the world. You know, we had a crane that could lift seventeen hundred tons. Damn. Yeah. Just massive stuff. Just yeah. picking and lifting. And it's. You know, I'm not saying that's a brag, you know, the the mega market, but it was surprisingly pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say that. Well, yeah, it's like. Yeah, guys like me out there doing it, you know, planning uh, it. I mean, it's, you know, when you put enough people on something, we need a lot of shit done. I mean, yeah. Pyra- uh, pyramids, right? When you have enough time with something. That's what you have time. You have enough. Yeah, time and resources. You have enough resources, right? If you got yeah. the material, you got the manpower. Or, yeah, but, or if you do the same thing over and over again, yeah, it, it becomes not, not repetitive, but you figure out better and better ways to do it. And I feel like that's one thing I always, and the companies I've worked for have been really good at doing is consistent innovation. Well, I, I was actually talking to, uh, I was talking to somebody about this last night, and I was like talking yeah. about like, what is intelligence? I was like, well, intelligence, I, honestly, is just pattern recognition. That's how you discover things. Like, oh, well, that is just like that. Like, if it's, if you've learned something, it's a pattern, right? Like, you're like, okay. If, it, if this is truly this, then it should be like this every single time that these things come together, right? Right. Like, if I add two plus two, I'm going to get four, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, so that's interesting. So, like, you know, you're in that field now still, yeah. right? Um, but th- to, to say to go even further on that, like I think something that, and I've 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 known you to do this as well, but something I do every day, and I, I try to apply it to my personal life too. But I I try to time myself on yeah. doing activities throughout the day, and then I try to beat those times. So I consistently sit there and say it takes me this long to figure something out, and That's if I can I can figure it out this long, okay. If I can beat it, that means I'm getting better. I'm so. with you. On, no, I'm with you on that. And I think I would do that, but my day, the way it sits now, I just have too much variety. Like, you have your job, and your job is mm-hmm. all the different shit comes up, right? Like, mm-hmm. different problems, but, like, it's all in your lane. Yeah. No, no same equipment, same people. Right, yeah. right. Mine is not that. So, I like... I think maybe when I had my uh, personal training company and I was doing that stuff, like I was probably in that zone. But in the company I work for now and the way that's set up where I wear a lot of different hats, Mm -hmm. like I run the compliance department, but I also like meander into the training department and into the finance department and into the Mm -hmm. HR department. Like I get all in, like, you know, I end up bleeding over into a lot of different lanes. And so... The issues I, I don't I don't have like a set schedule of things that I do, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Like the only thing, the, like the one thing that I do that is regimented would be like you know I go out and I told you like I write these policy and procedures and I do the audits on them. That I time myself. That I keep a tight schedule. That yeah. I want to do better and faster. But that's the only thing I have that is a is regular enough to where I can constantly revisit it and be like, okay, I need to. 
tighten up right yeah. here. Just keep refining it down to a tighter model. Yeah. yeah. I, well, so, yeah. I, 100%. What, what that, what that's what I do with the policy and procedures. Like every policy and procedures company, I go out and find out who's good at it. I watch them do it. I do it myself. I sit in their spot, and then I write out a policy or you know a way that way to operate in that in that lane, and that I know that you know I try to find the way that ha doesn't have any fat, mm. you know that we're not doing repetitive things, and so that I do something similar. But that's actually what I do for the company, not just for myself. That's kind of my lane. That's what I do. It's where these policies I create come from. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you're in like crane logistics now, heavy lifting uh, for a big company here. You work on a lot of projects in your company. To, you guys did like the Brave Stadium, right? Yeah. And yeah. Other projects over in Yeah, Atlanta. the whole battery we did. Nice. Yeah. It was pretty cool, man. I go there and I'm just like, yeah. there's two different. So where I came from was industrial. Yeah. So it didn't really matter how it looked. It just mattered the, the process of how the chemicals oh, got see, from yeah, one yeah. point to the just other. Just big factory. Yeah. Kind of, there was no aesthetic value. Yeah. yeah. And you come to a place like where I work now. Um, and, and the career man now it's you have the commercial it's, it's mainly commercial um, and they do some industrial too but mainly commercial places like the Brave Stadium the battery and all that stuff so you're, you're really honed in on all the architectural stuff from yeah. in even interior nice from a so w we've got to put a crane somewhere we've got to put a a hoist or put some equipment so at one place and they're like no we can't do that because there's a stairwell going there well, okay, we'll move it to the left here. No, that's that's eventually going to be somebody's home. And when we finish this side of the building, we have to have plumbing and all this stuff in here. And the facade of the building already has to be up because people are going to be moving in. And oh, you're talking about like so doing like apartments and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Apartments, skyscrapers, you still whatever it is. You still be on the Brave State? I was like, yeah. people live there. No. And they actually, well, actually they do. And it, but it, even more important is people's offices there. Yeah, okay. And I so they're you. like wanting to move in as soon as possible. Right. And they're wanting to start charging rent on this stuff as soon as possible. Correct. Uh, the owners are. Yeah. So we've got an owners rep come to us and like, nah, you can't put a crane here because you're gonna have to, you're gonna be thirty floors up, you know, five hundred foot in the air, and we've got to tie in our crane every so hundred foot or so. Um, I don't. It's not maybe it's not hundred foot, but it's hundred to hundred twenty foot. If OSHA's listening, yeah, yeah. he is following <laughs> the OSHA guidelines <laughs> to the T. But they're like, no, you can't tie in your crane here because we got a tenant that wants to move in. So we have to change our location, our whole climb schedule, everything to get to the 500-foot mark in the air with this crane. Yeah. And you're like, Dude, hey, I know you want people to move in, but how much money do you want to spend to move the whole the foundation and everything from what we've already designed? Yes. Yeah. And they're like, move it. I don't care. I got somebody that's paying $2 million for a penthouse in a skyscraper, or I say skyscraper, in a high-rise in Atlanta. Those are good customers to have. Like they I are. don't care. Yeah, they are. Now that's don't care. And that's why make it happen. That's yeah. why. That's why. The yeah, that's that, dope, man. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about how you even got into your field. Now we'll we'll talk touch on some younger stuff, but like, so you were you're here now, which is a uh, I guess you're at mid level in your career. Uh, I guess you would say. Yeah. Uh, with yeah. the crane and the logistics and that kind of stuff, heavy lifting, but. How did you get into that? Uh, so let's let's. So I know. Um, so you went in the military, and yeah. in the military, what was your job in the military? Civil engineering, and I, I say civil engineering. It was uh, basically pavements and equipment. Yeah, is what they what it was called. But it was in the civil engineering career field. So 
civil CE civil engineering was lumped together with all your electricians, all your your guys who did the vertical structures, which were like carpenters and stuff like that, and you had yeah. your guys who did like the horizontal stuff, which was the pavements and dirt work and heavy equipment and all that good stuff. And that's what yeah. I did. Right on. Yeah. And um, our main mission was to rebuild or build an airfield in case we ever got attacked or bombed or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you guys, like, um, I know when I was overseas, like, so, like, Bagram Airfield, like, that kind of work. Like, you guys, you yeah. guys build that stuff out, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Us and the CBs. Yeah, yeah. So, the Navy, I mean, yeah, the Navy CBs and Air yeah. Force, what is it, Red Horse? Red Horse, yeah. Yeah, so that's, like, you're going to a, mm -hmm. you know, a high-intense environment, you know, yeah, enemy Yeah, you're area. basically the first person in there to put in infrastructure in a nice. very hostile environment. Yeah. Hazardous fire. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I was. That well, was the. Yeah. That's the DD two fourteen term I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. So you were doing that, and um, so you went in that field in the Air Force, and when you got out, and why why did you get out? Well, I got out and was gonna go back in as an officer. Um, so let me back up. I graduated high school. We knew each other then, right? Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I think we talked about this a little bit in our intro, but uh, for whatever reason, man, I was really leaning on my, my dad for yeah. guidance, and uh, ended up going to the military, Right. and that was a great decision, and everybody knew it based on what I had going on at the time, which was nothing. Uh, did civil engineering in the military, was stationed all around the world, had a great experience, and decided to get out, and knew I didn't want to be like enlisted the rest of my life. I knew I wanted to achieve something more than that so i decided i was going to go back to school nice. and i'd already d i already finished probably i don't know 80 to 100 credit hours yeah in while i was in the military so right. basically had my associates okay if you want to say that uh, about a year and a half of school uh, got out was doing what they call the sword program um what is that it's it's like a scholarship they give you yeah and they give you a stipend every month, just like you're still in the military. So just not the GI paycheck. Bill? I was doing the GI Bill, too, so I was basically double dipping, if you want to call it that. And it's totally legal. legal. It is, absolutely. So they give you a stipend to live on, and you yeah. pay for your school. It's basically like mm. just being in the military. You're still receiving a paycheck. Mm. Um, you do that, and then you also get your GI Bill to pay for school. Mm -hmm. So I had that, and when I decided that I didn't want to go back in the military because, ah, man, there are so many factors. I was at school. I didn't want to be there longer than I had to. Uh, I originally went into civil engineering degree, and they said that uh, a lot of my credits, not all, but a lot of my credits weren't going to apply to the engineering school. Yeah. So it was basically going to add another year of school. And uh, I said, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be here more than I have to be because – right. I went to the University of Alabama, and they yeah. have, a, they have a, one one of the factors, the stipulations of, of the thing I was doing was you had to go to a school that had an ROTC detachment for Air Force. Right. And Alabama's got one of the best ROTC detachments there is okay. in the southeast that I that I knew of at the time. Yeah. Uh, so I, and plus I wanted to go to Alabama, like it was the dream of mine, right, to go to Alabama. Yeah. A roll tide. Oh uh, yeah, a bammer. I'm a bammer. Full-blown bammer. So uh, I go back to Alabama. I think it's going to be this great college experience. And a lot of it was probably the fact that I thought I'd missed out on a lot in college, which 
I got to Alabama and I clearly figured out. It was very clear to me that I missed nothing in college. Yeah, but in fairness to you, right? Yeah. Had you had that same experience in college, mm. right out of high school, you'd been a lot different. Cause yeah. We were still very immature and very, you know, yeah. So, and I hundred percent agree. College post military, whether you want to go back to the military or not, is way easier to do. You get better grades. Yeah. And you don't get caught up in the bullshit mm. because. Well, you're, you're not partying your ass off. No. Like you're, you're actually you're focused on a career aspect. You are. And the people in college with you are like children. You're like, what is this? Like Billy very, Madison. Very much so. Billy, yes. Billy Madison in the kindergarten situation where he's just like the giant kid. Yeah. You know? Matter of fact, I had guys there that I graduated with. Yeah. And I already served four years in the military, and they were still there <laughs> as sophomores. <laughs> and I was like, bro, what have you been doing? Like, I've been around the world. I've what? been in Japan. What? I've been in the Middle Are East. You? And how did I, I catch you yeah, in college? Sophomore year. Like, you've only completed two years in four. And a lot of us, that, that whole, the, I mean, the cliche of you go to the, you go there, you flunk out, you fail classes, you just, you're not ready for it. And they weren't. They weren't. And they'll tell you that to this day. And I'm not going to mention names, but I mean, it was, it was very apparent. And, um, I, even some to this day, I, I mean, I could sit there and tell you that me being a part of their life while we were in college helped them. And I'm not bragging, but I was like, no, I mean, like I, it's, I just kind of called a, them to the front. It's a different different perspective Absolutely. for somebody going, Absolutely. hey, man, what are you doing? Yeah. You know. Anyways, um, so I got out, did that, and the year I got there, they pulled ROTC scholarships because it was 2008. Um, Obama had just been elected. Yeah. Democrat. Yeah. Um, Democrats come in, and I, I would want to say that probably the re- main reason it happens is because Democrats, a lot of times they come in, they cut defense spending, and I think they came in and cut defense spending in half. And what do you think the first thing on the list was? Was ROTC scholarships. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. That, that's my guess. But regardless. Oh, uh, yeah, I never knew that. Yeah, R- I never yeah, knew that happened. They didn't offer any ROT scholarships the next year, and they came to me and told me that, and uh, the ROTC – ROTC commander came to us all and said, he said all the freshmen, sophomores, and juniors in the room, he said, look, we're, we're cutting scholarships for everybody but the seniors, and we're going to bring them back in the next year. And, yeah. and maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I, I don't know. But um, I just kind of decided at that point, man, I feel like God was trying to tell me something. Uh, maybe it was God. Maybe it was just my own intuition. But uh, I felt like he was trying to tell me or somebody was trying to tell me that, hey, let's just try the civilian life. And, and I did. Um, about that time, I found out about this company called Barnhart. And uh, no, we, we've skipped a few steps, sir. Yeah. Skipped a few steps. Okay, okay. Um, so, when you were in, so the scholarship thing went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, were you working? Yeah, I was. I worked at a feed store. All three years I was there, um, worked at a just man worked my dick off dude at a feed store and it was like slave labor but it was it was probably one of the most satisfying jobs I've ever had just dealing with like and I don't mean this in any way demeaning or anything like that but just the people that come in a feed store in Tuscaloosa, in Tuscaloosa Alabama yeah, yeah in Tuscaloosa North, Alabama Northport Alabama 
are just some of the most. And let's just lay out Tuscaloosa for people that have never been there. So people see the glitz and glamour of Alabama yeah, on like no, on a you know college football game day when they come there and they see frat row and they see the big stadium. Tuscaloosa is central Alabama. It is the middle yeah. of Alabama. There's nothing there but the university. The town is. It's the black belt, you know, the soil, some of the most fertile in Alabama. So it's a lot of farming, a lot of agriculture, uh, a lot of hunting, a lot of, uh, I mean, just a lot of avid outdoorsmen. Um, you know, they call South Louisiana sportsman's paradise. I would say probably central Alabama and, and even up into Tennessee is some of the best hunting and fishing you can do as well. So yeah. bass fishing is huge. But, but regardless, um, that that's the type of people. It was real salt-of-the-earth people. Yeah, I'm not gonna say simple, but th- just a simple lifestyle. A simple lifestyle. Yeah, yeah no, they, you could be a lot of cattle you farmers. A, you could be a rocket scientist, but like if you chose that simple yeah, lifestyle, yeah, absolutely, you know, like, absolutely. You know. And a matter of fact, I do know one rocket scientist who is very similar, and he's from Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah, and a really good friend. Is of that mine, the guy you were talking about? Yeah. You go hunting with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, one good of your guy. NASA friends. Yeah, because you've got NASA friends. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and just to clarify, when you your graduation was postponed, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, because of the infamous super tornado that rolled yeah. through, right? Yeah, the super, 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 super so- storm system that came through Tuscaloosa and wiped out everything. Matter what fact, year was that? Uh, 2011. 20, was it 11 or 10? 11. It was 11? May of 11, yeah. Because I started, I started my career at Barnhart. Oh, August, that's right. Because it, it was, uh, yeah, you wrapped up right before I started law school. Yeah. That's right. And yeah. so... When you got out of college and you got military experience, you got a degree from one of the oh most man. prestigious yeah. public universities in the in the country, right? Yep. What now? You know, what was that experience like with that kind of background? <laughs> and with and what did you major in? What you business? Yeah, you business, in business. Management, yeah. All right. So, what was that job hunting like? Well, let's back up. Uh, got out of the military, got into college, and got into ROTC. Decided I didn't want to go back into the military right. as I'm an sorry. officer. I don't, I don't want to cut you off. No, no, no. You good? Let's talk about the tornado. Okay. Because this was some wild ass shit that you've told me about yeah. that tornado. Because yeah, it r- literally, r- you lived. Now talk about where you lived, how the tornado hit, and like you were in the middle of it. Yeah, absolutely. Lost half our house. Yeah, it shaved off the top layer, yeah, right? Yeah, did. <laughs> And you took like, off the second story of our house. Yeah, we're so looking like, at daylight now what coming happened, out of the now, basement. Now, so like you and your roommates and their, I guess their girlfriends, right, all huddled yeah, in the basement. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, well, I'll put it this way. Um, I had a girlfriend, and then I had two roommates. One we never saw, um, and then one had a live-in girlfriend, and the other guy. I don't know if he's ever dated anybody, but uh, fair, super nice guy, just like country as heck, man. So. Uh, we had one, my roommate Drew, who uh, he had a kind of a living girlfriend with us, and a uh, great chick, man. She was just really cool. And uh, we had a guy from Japan who was on the bass fishing team with these other three guys. I had three roommates, and they're all three on the bass fishing team. And just kind of to kind of frame this up, they all had brand new trucks, brand new boats, and one of the reasons they chose the house that I was living in. Uh, was because they had a huge carport where they could park their boats under. Uh, yeah, um, but like, is priorities, it, right? Wait, uh, so a bass fishing team is a collegiate sponsored sport. It wasn't at the time; it is now, I believe. Does that mean they still get trucks and boats? They don't, well, their parents bought them trucks, but the Bass Pro Shop uh, sponsored them, 
and kept them in a brand new bass boat every year. They just had to, they were responsible for selling. Now how theirs. does how do they how does that mesh with football players getting their brains scrambled every Saturday and they can't even make a, like a rap <laughs> video on YouTube and collect money from it? They get their jerseys that are sold. They get no money. Yeah, yeah, I know. And you got these other sports that don't have the optics, and you know, they're getting boats. Well, all right. Well, and not saying that illegal boosters aren't slinging money those football players' way. I'm just saying, yeah. like, in the in the open, mm-hmm. you know, how does that? Well, you own? could look at it both ways. Yeah, they get those. They get brand new boats. Or is it because like it's that. sports related, right? Because they get new helmets and like that. Those boats are required for them to compete in their activity right i don't know is that how it works i mean i would because yeah. you can't collect money you can't receive Mm-mm. profit as a collegiate well, athlete. they're not they're not receiving profit either but i'll but i'll say this the if you want to look the the pros and cons of being a bass fisherman versus a pro football player yeah right okay well who comes out better at the end of that if you say you go work or play three years in the pros and you're making a million dollars a year uh, versus a collegiate bass fisherman who gets out and he's probably going to go work at a factory. I, I don't know. It Regardless. Or go on the pro tour. Yeah. Dude, you know, I, the, the percentage of people that make it, even if they're on TV and fishing, yeah, they get sponsors and stuff, but when they don't win something yeah. in a tournament, they don't get jacked. They're I mean, sleeping that, yeah, in a camper true, shell you, you truck know, you, in the th- parking lot of the boat launch. I mean, but the, uh, <laughs> yeah, but what do you think happens to collegiate athletes? <laughs> Maybe the same thing. It's worse. Maybe. Yeah. It's worse because those guys get yeah. passes. They don't. They miss the education aspect. They don't learn. Like, a lot of them. I say that. I'm just saying I took it. Like, so when I was in law school, I took a sports law class, and we had, you know, we had speakers come in, and, and our professor had worked on the Olympic Committee. He had worked with the Saints, you know. And he was explaining. He's like, you know, and we go through the statistics. Yeah. Like the average like uh, lifespan of an NFL athlete is only three and a half years. Yeah. Ooh. So you got brain trauma. Yeah. You've got a bachelor's degree, and if you didn't set yourself up, and if you Body's were wrecked. and they're and they're children, right? So yeah. if you get out of college at twenty one or twenty two, and you last three and a half years, you may be twenty five, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're twenty five, uh, you have no job skills. You never work because your whole no. life has been sports. Right. Um, your education has always come secondary. And so now NFL's cut you because you weren't the absolute cream of the crop. Now what do you do? The average yeah. so we there's a statistic. So the average income post NFL career of the majority of players that are cut after three and a half years, fifty thousand or less. I was gonna say, is it I was gonna use fifty thousand or less. Yeah, it's, a, it's about 50000 or less because they end up, like, managing restaurants, and they're pretty much mm-hmm. living on their, like, loose college fame and NFL fame, from what I understand. And it's a uh, – because, you know, like, people still will recognize them. Like, oh, man, you're so-and-so that played this yeah, season. I mean, absolutely. you made a tremendous catch. And, like, that that's a draw, like, either maybe, like, car sales or home sales or, like, an insurance business. But, like, they're – I mean, they're not set up for success. And, and I know the NCAA, and there's been a lot of – push to help those people out but I just when you said that about the bass boats really? I, didn't know, I didn't know that and i was just like hey dude what in the hell you know it's hey i when i first got to alabama um my cousin hooked me up with a tour of the stadium yeah and the guy doing the tour of the stadium was an exile down about a uh, football player yeah um tournament pro throw oh yeah 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 the one that dude, got the yeah yeah the legend horrific Le- leg injury right? Right? but yeah. also catching a ball behind a dude's yeah, helmet yeah, you yeah. know like i mean daniel moore paintings about him all that good stuff uh 
maybe some of you don't know who Daniel Moore is, but Alabama fans will. Three months later, I'm going through the region's drive-through right next to the stadium. Yeah. And Tyrone Protho is working the, the – he's a teller at the bank. Yeah, man. I mean, like that's I, not 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 knocking anything yeah, like that's that. That's not knocking tellers or Tyrone no, Prothrow. Absolutely, but like, but like you think about the stuff that when you went think about somebody head, on that grand stage, yeah, when somebody absolutely. had the entire nation's eyeballs on them. Well, just them. no, no, not even that. But you I know. mean, think about his expectations, his family's expectations, his kids' expectations. Some of them have kids in in, in college. Yeah, but like the expectations when they get in there and they're so good, and regardless of Tyrone Prothrow, but like. Several examples throughout history of collegiate athletes. They get in there, they get hurt, something happens, or they just don't make it in the pros. Yeah. And they go down to that. Dude, yeah. that is a, that is, I mean, that will mess with you mentally. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, it, that it, it's got to be tough. Mentally. I mean, like, you look at uh, Eric Anders, right? Yeah. National champion, played for Bama, linebacker. And, you know, now he's in the UFC, he's an MMA star. But before he did that, he is he? Yeah, dude, he's stud. Stud? Yeah, stud. He, uh, but before you did that, though, he lives in Birmingham, right? And before you did that, he was a janitor, you know? He, he, but he just missed athletics, and he was obviously a very gifted athlete and could transition into professional mixed martial arts mm-hmm. after, you know, a couple of years of training. Um, but, we, I mean, the they have a good martial arts, mixed martial arts gym here with a couple of UFC people. But, um, and he you know, was able to make that transition. But, yeah, I mean, like, you know, he talked about it on this interview I was watching, and he was just like, yeah, I mean, I was, I was pushing a broom before I, you know, I got into MMA. You know, it's it just wasn't set up. Well, that's what, yeah. So education or not, I'll, I'll say this: it, most athletes have some type of discipline yeah. ingrained in them, but also a mental toughness. Yeah, for where sure. they can and how, man, to be completely honest with you, I mean, you look at most of these guys and you look what background they came from, and a lot of them came from nothing. Yeah. So for them to go back to nothing isn't that big of a deal. And it's like, hey, sure. I'll get yeah, I'll get back there. Well, and speaking of getting back, yeah. I know I went down a rabbit hole yeah, with the athletes. Circle. Thing. I was just like lost when you told me that they had brand new boats and trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Kinda, it kinda, All right. It took so, me for a loop. So the tornado. Her, the tornado's coming. Yeah. And you guys put the girlfriends and you all get down to the basement. Well, uh, so here's what happened. Um, I'm the oldest guy in the house. And a lot of the guys were like, well, what, do we need, what do we need to do? And I had one uh, one roommate who was from who had the living girlfriend. He's from Joplin, Missouri, and he kept telling me, "Man, th- these tornadoes aren't nothing to mess with." And I'd never been through a tornado. Yeah, I was thinking to myself, "All right, it's like a hurricane, man. We'll go, you know, we'll get down in the basement, man. We'll hang out and play play cards or you know whatever." Uh, not the case. <laughs> so we're watching the TV, and power kept coming on and off. And dude, it looked like, I mean, it looked like the rapture was about to happen, like a just a. Like it's like doomsday, into right? the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember watching on the news as it was happening. I remember watching like <laughs> semi trucks getting sucked up. And I was yeah. like, how is that a thing? It was nuts, man. Um, started hailing like golf ball size hail, probably more like ping pong or ball bearing size hail, but it was, it was big hail to me because I never seen hail before. Yeah, and I had two dogs at the time, Chickadee and Lucky. Yeah, and I was doing a lot of bird hunting and stuff. And usually when it got bad weather, those dogs were right there at the porch, man. Yeah. And had a backyard with a big fence and everything. And 
get out there, and these dogs are clear across the yard, and it's raining this hell, man. I remember get run across the yard trying to get these dogs because I was standing on the porch yelling. Were they scared out. to run across? Yeah, the yard? they were scared of. They were hiding underneath the tree over there. Little, uh, uh, yeah, they got like little, isolated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dog, or little bitty tree that we had over in the corner of the yard. And they were just like huddled up over there, like looking at me on the porch, and I'm yelling over here, "Get over here now!" Now, like fuck you, there's golf balls <laughs> yeah. raining from the sky. Asshole. So I like, run yeah. out, man. These golf balls, these things are hit, pegging me, and I grab both my dogs' arm, running back, and uh, we get back in the house, and I look at the TV, and every time the power would come back on, the TV would come on, and I see the we had on the news channel, and they had the trajectory lines of the tornado, and it was headed right towards the stadium, yeah. and we lived about two miles away from the stadium. Yeah. And the power went off, on and off, on and off. And uh, the last time the power came back on, I remember looking at the TV, and the trajectory line had changed, and it was pointed right over our neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, literally right over our neighborhood. I remember yeah. seeing it come over Stillman College or right next to it, and it was headed right to us. And I looked at my room, and I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. You know? So I knew it was kind of serious then. And he said, get down to the basement. Grab the couch cushions, grab a mattress, let's go. So we all ran down there and got backed into a corner. And we were just kind of huddled up. And I never forget this, that the thing coming over us, I never I never forget the sound. And a lot of people compare it to a freight train, but I was in the military. So I'm going to compare it. I was basically our barracks were right next to our airfield. Yeah. I'm going to compare it to a, a tank and a fighter jet coming over you at the same time. You can hear the tracks and just that sh- crunching, sh- just that kind of grinding. Yes, yeah. and then the freaking fighter jet just coming the in. The yeah, that fast. Yeah. So the slowness of a tank, and then the the quickness of the, a fighter. The jet. grind and yes. the howl. Yeah, just mixed. So the first thing you start hearing is just kind of the 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 chipping away of the roof and wood cracking and all that, and you hear glass breaking and all that. Um, then you start hearing like trees cracking, just. I mean, it sounds like cause when a tree breaks in half, it, it like it explodes, right? There's so yeah. much tension, and poof, you hear that hit, and you can hear them hitting the house, and it's just it, all kinds of those weird sounds still stand out. So, all, so who else in the basement at this point? So I had me, my two roommates, yeah, and one girlfriend of the roommate, and then I had a guy from Japan who was on campus, and when we were seeing the trajectory line coming towards the campus, we were he was in the dorms, and we kept calling, "Hey, man," his name was Yoshi. Uh, he was from Japan, and uh, we tipped, get over here, get in our basement, man. You'll be safe here. And yeah. then, man, poor tornado hits us. <laughs> yeah, like, come right in but the line. We were, of the we were backed in the corner yeah. of this basement with a mattress over us and stuff. And uh, I never forget this: the the um, the floor started flooding. I started feeling water. I was like, "Whoa, it's flooding!" I was like, "Man, it was rain." I was like, "Wait a minute, there's no rain. What's yeah. hell?" Yeah. I never, never, never rained. Yeah. So I started thinking, I was like, okay, well, maybe the pipes. Yeah, yeah, okay, the pipes busted. Let me rip the pipes out or something. I was like, looking up in the basement, which they're hunched in this corner. There's no pipes in the basement. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what yeah. the heck? So I couldn't figure it out. I just ignored it. And we were just like, so. The floor was wet. Yeah, the like, floor was wet. Yeah. I was like, what the heck? We got up after it was all over with, after, you know, the. I mean, we, it was it was an experience, man. Like you never. It was the most. It was the second scariest experience, other than being mortared in Iraq. Just that 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 feeling that you have no control yeah. of what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Shit's coming like, down on you. It's and coming. There, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. So 
and I can imagine some other experiences in Iraq that I didn't go through that other people. No, but like through. personally, yeah. that was your yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was your that was a big one. So we get up, and I'm walking around. I'm like, where? I'm obsessed with this water. I'm like, where does water come from? And I look back, and like, it's just in that corner. Well, the 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 girlfriend um, had kind of like she was hyperventilating and everything else, and she had like pissed herself. And uh, so let let's yeah. just say, let's just put that back out there. So the water you were feeling on your feet, yeah, warm was piss that. Poor girl being terrified out of her mind. Like, I don't I mean like. I've I've never seen it happen to a human, but I've seen it happen to animals. Like when a dog gets absolutely terrified yeah. back to the corner, it'll piss yeah. all over itself. So she had pissed all over herself because she thought that was a wrap, huh? Yep. Yeah. Because you guys, when you say it, like you, I think you had told me once, like did it suck the outlet? Like the pressure changed? Yeah. It did some weird stuff in the house. So studied a lot on tornadoes after that, and I say studied a lot. I studied the things that I saw. Yeah, like you're like, yeah. this happened to me. Why did this happen? Yeah, so yeah. the pressure changes so dramatically. And in a lot of houses, you think that the tornado coming through is just ripping houses apart and stuff like that. It's actually not. You get a lot of straight-line winds around the tornado, but in the, the direct path of the tornado, a lot of the houses explode because of that pressure. Just it Basically, the pressure drops so hard, it... it it oh, I see. Pushes so, yeah, yeah. Out so, the, so, the walls. so a house, as it sits yeah. in like, in, a, say, in, open a, in a static position, yep. has an internal pressure matching yep. the external pressure. Yeah. And when that instantaneous void of low pressure comes over it from the funnel, yeah, it just, the, yeah, the, extra, it, the pressure inside the house causes the house to go. That's exactly right. Got yeah. it. So Luke, that's my it saying, but. So our house. We could be butchering that because neither yeah, one of us are weather well, people, but uh, <laughs> I like but, it. That sounds good to me. So I looked at a lot. I mean, I went around the house, and we were just kind of like shell-shocked or whatever, and I started looking at everything. I noticed all the light sockets were, like, sucked in, you know. And our house was well-built. It was built back in, the, like, the 50s, I guess, 50s or 60s, right yeah. after another major hurricane. That's the reason we had a basement, and a lot of the reason that – or. A, the reason a lot of the other houses in the area had basements was because another major hurricane came, or tornado, sorry. I, I don't mean to get those too mixed up, but a major tornado well, came through. we grew through. up on the coast where right. hurricanes were our thing. Yeah, so another major tornado came right through Tuscaloosa and decimated it, similar to the one that came through at that time. Yeah. Uh, and our house was rebuilt after a tornado with a basement, and so were several others Yeah. in that same area. So... All that aside, yeah, we're I have nothing left to my name. Uh, my three roommates had brand new Z seventy one sitting in the driveway, boats, uh, all but one was totaled, but their uh, their trucks, everything was fine. And then I have a used Ford F one fifty that I had had since high school uh, that my parents bought me. Used F one fifty, probably worth three or four thousand dollars, and had liability insurance. Uh, tree fell on it. Shit. Yeah. Totally. I forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was out a truck. Damn. And I had, I was like, why couldn't it have hit one of theirs that were fully covered <laughs> that would have been replaced immediately? Because you've been masturbating yeah, to Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, probably. Yeah. Maybe. Probably. Yeah. God was I'm just <laughs> saying, like, I mean, karma. It happened. But anyways, FEMA helped me out a little bit. Got ended up getting a new vehicle. Um, ah, man, just all sorts of things at that point in my life. But uh, so yeah. yeah, so 
that was Alabama. You got your business degree. You worked at the feed store. You were yeah. doing uh, construction. Hey, mm-hmm. where we're at now? Beer up, and uh, I got to piss. Go for it. So we'll cut. So cut, cut, cut. We need one of those snaps. We can do it. All right. That's why I just wanted to get like your attention yeah. so we can start back at that. Okay. I already got one, man. Is that the last one? Yeah, that's one. Damn, we only went to a six pack and a half? Or a quarter? Like a couple, couple extra before me there, big dog. Maybe? Yeah. And we're back. So, uh, jumping back in, Evan. We are fresh, freshly beard and uh, relieved. also uh, relieved. Yeah. Um, so we uh, we are leaving uh, Alabama. Got your business degree, survived the tornado, um, post military, post Air Force, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and you are. And when you when you graduated, so what after you graduated? Where'd you go? What'd you do? What was the game plan? Well, <laughs> and you and you had said you were down for the civilian thing. You weren't. No, yeah. You were no longer focusing on going back in the yeah. military as a uh, as an officer. That's right. That's right. Uh, but because of the way the, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the effort, I don't even want to get into that. But basically, just decided that I wanted to try the civilian life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Kind of seen the, the military and what that career and what the longevity was there. And I said, hey, I'm going to, I think I want to steer the other way. So I did. And yeah. 2011, the economy was in an all-time low. I mean, it was in well, the Well, yeah, I mean, the well, the deepest. economy tanked in 2008, and it still hadn't re- bounced back really oh, no. in 2011. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, I think a lot of people, especially in my industry, yeah, or the industry I was trying to get into, yeah, uh, was starting to really feel the hard hits of that. Because in 2008, 2009, it's like the economy, almost like the, the, flip, the switch flipped. Yeah. It went from really good in the early 2000s, 2001 to 2000. 
five. Yeah. Roughly. And I think you start seeing signs of it in six and seven. Yeah. And then it really hit in eight. Right. So in my industry, the industry I was trying to get in at the time uh, that I eventually ended up in was the from a the industrial side, the petrochemical yeah. refining, all that stuff. Yeah. And a lot of those projects that they do, mm-hmm. and a lot of the, the, the stuff that they do, the capital projects, so to speak, a lot of that money's already set aside for those projects. Right. And the planning's been in stages for two or three years even. Yeah. So that work's already planned. Uh, so there's like stuff. a lag. So there's yeah, a, very so much so. the economy tanks in 08, but the mm-hmm. lag time. Absolutely. The Absolutely. lag time to where it actually hit that industry mm. you were trying to go into was you know, much later. So Much later. Saying, so 2011. Yeah, so it just kind of They're not the hiring anybody. So you're out of school. Got, a lot of, all get, these projects are finishing up. You got a degree from a, you know, right. from a great university. You get the military experience. Mm-hmm. You know, you get your shit together. But... You know, it's just not there. The jobs aren't there. The market's horrible. So I'm looking back at this military career that I could have. Shit. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, regardless, I stuck with it. Uh, I got an internship in a, I say an internship, really just got kind of an entry-level position with the company I started out with. And yeah. I always knew, I always knew even graduating uh high school i wanted to be in the construction field i yeah. just i liked it um and i always kind of told myself that i would start out somewhere and i would eventually become a project manager and that yeah. just stuck with me i want to be a project manager right um so all that all that and i ended up getting out and uh got on with that company started out at the lowest tier possible yeah, travel a lot, and just so happened that they were doing a lot of nuke work at the time. Yeah, 2011, 2012, uh, the the power sector, power plants and nuke plants, and um, well, I say coal fired plants and nuke plants were doing a lot of work to yeah. meet regulation because they were putting uh, the the Obama era put a lot of regulation on them, which required them to spend a lot of money to retrofit their plants. Yeah. So I did a lot of that, and uh, we started doing a lot of nuke work. And they, guy came up to me and said, "You were in the military?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "You think you could be a project manager for our night shift up in Wisconsin, Point Beach, Wisconsin nuke plant?" I said, "Yeah, I think I could." Yeah. So send me Wisconsin. Yeah. It's, I hear it's beachy there. No. <laughs> the name a little deceptive. <laughs> yeah, very deceptive. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Was it not? Was it even on the water? Yeah, it was on the Great Lakes. That's oh, okay. where they get their feed water to uh, cool the reactor. Oh, that's right. That's right. So you're the newt guy in Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Doing it up. That's right. Um, and I, if I remember correctly, you were the newt guy for that program for a little while. Very long while. Yeah. Stayed in it for three years. Yeah. And then you moved out to a uh, branch manager, I guess. No, I I told him, you know, after I finished my third newt job, I was like, ugh. It's like once you get to a nuke project and they flip the switch off of the nuke plant and you start working on it, you're there. You don't leave. Yeah. And it is, you're living in a job trailer for the next six months. So on the nuke plant, when you're, so when they flip, is it like a shutdown to where like, yeah. in a shutdown at like a big industrial facility, that's where you pretty much all the big machinery that makes that thing a factory. They shut it down. You, you know refab and do all the stuff you got to do to it. But with a nuke plant, I know you're probably doing the same thing, but what about like the plutonium and the uranium? Or how's that work? I'm just 
I don't know if that's actually mm. what they use in the nuke plant, but yeah, no, they do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they use the rods of that to fuel super, rods, to, yeah, mm-hmm. fuel rods to superheat yeah. the water to turn the turbines to mm-hmm. to make the power, right? So what are you guys changing out there? Uh, well, it depends. Uh, sometimes it's the turbine yeah. that actually turns and makes the power and generates the power. Do you mess with the nuclear stuff like the fuel rods? Sometimes you do. Yeah, sometimes you, you change the actual. Em? Sometimes you change the actual head. Uh, no, they have companies that do that, and like that's all. Company is that's nothing really specialized, other than it's just hazard material after it comes out of an. So it's not super like it's just not radioactive. There's like hazmat suits. Yeah, fucking. It's basically like transporting the stuff you X-ray people with. Really? Yeah. By the time they, I say that I've never transported, I've never been involved, but yeah, by the time they put it over the road, they just they mark it radioactive. They transport it out to a mountain out in Nevada somewhere. Oh yeah, with the you know we're yeah. we're we're, sa- it, we're saving it up for our great 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 grandkids. Yes, that's right. Hey, well, you guys can find well, us later. We're burying a that's present. That's the problem yeah. with nuclear yeah. power, man. It's uh, the carbon footprint is it doesn't just can disappear. We, I just wonder if we could throw it in the sun, like in the Superman, I think number three, where he threw all the nukes <laughs> in the sun. Like I don't know that that will. <laughs> It's on fire anyways. That, that's the, I think that's the redneck uh, in me. Think about it, right? Well, so, like, what do we do in South Alabama when you got garbage? Burn it. You got so some black tires. You're not cool with burning the whole atmosphere? Burn mm, it up. Yeah. So let's burn the nukes, right? Just throw them in the sun. One of the projects I was over, or one of the projects I managed when I was at a nuke plant in Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, Grand Gulf Nuclear, they actually built their own mausoleum there to house all these radioactive components that so we, that mausoleum, we were taking out. not like the ones in New Orleans where you well, put the dead bodies above the ground. This is the coffin for the the nuclear nu- yeah. the, the nuclear yeah. parts. Yeah, but it's all above ground. So mausoleum, I mean, that's the, the so same there's concept. a facility in Mississippi just holding a bunch of potential nuclear. Yeah, it's on the nuclear site there, like radioactive waste. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So it's near the Mississippi River, so it could all get transported real easily if a mega flood or something awful happened. Yeah, the elevation change between where the nuke plant and the Mississippi River was, there's no, I mean, it'd have to be, I can't say it would never happen, but it would have to be significant. Have you read the Bible, sir? Well, yeah, Yeah. I got you. Yeah. (laughs) Noah may... Noah may have something to say about that. You're right, yeah, I have actually read that. I've read about Noah... Yeah, he, he may have yeah. a little something to say about your yeah. Mississippi and the elevation change right, theory. whatever. But uh, so there's a mausoleum on site. Yeah. And we were taking these components. All the They have, man, I could get into this. I'm kind of nerd when it comes to this because I worked in it so long. But yeah. all the, the stuff where the raw water that comes in from the river or whatever, wherever the local water source is, there has to be. Most of the plants are built on a, a river or a lake, like the Great Lakes, but a significant water source. Because they draw that water in as their cooling water. Yeah, yeah. That's and what I, makes I, the steam. That's what, you know. Yeah, and I'm, mm-hmm. they have to cool the equipment with it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, And I do know that, like, being a, like, so I focused in environmental law in law school. So, uh, and I, my undergrad was in geology. So, yeah. like, I have a science background. Yeah. But so I understand, like, with those reactors and those chemical plants, like, you can't just pump that water in. Yeah. Like, you, having a, you put those plants on the river for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you were pumping water in from a, say 100 miles away yeah and something that happened to it within 100 miles you have no water and yeah. that's chernobyl it, 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 i mean yeah you get a meltdown you get a meltdown you get a meltdown so Absolutely. like you've got to be on that that yeah. like good steady water oh yeah supply. and they have probably 10 or 15 pumps there that don't even that aren't even operational 
they just, just on back up. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Just, just, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just we, they've learned a lot since Chernobyl, but or, or three, I say three, three mile, mile and, three yeah. mile island hours, yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, anyways, so I stayed there for a while and uh, was over that and over a scope of that at least, several scopes. Uh, loved it, but decided that it was time to tap out because I just I wasn't gonna live in a nuke plant for the rest of my life. And there's guys that do that. There's guys that can hop from nuke plant to nuke plant and just manage these outages. They're cool with having like oh yeah kids with third just eyes live, and live wherever they got extra fingers and toes. Uh, not that Homer I mean, Simpson style, but yeah, like, like the so I dated a girl that was her yeah. dad was one of those guys. He was a contractor for a nuke plant. Yeah, they would hire that, yeah they hired him every time they had an outage. He'd come in there and he would manage everything that happened in that outage, and he was good. It's pretty dope. He was he was a big guy. So he's like an ops manager oh, for yeah. for shutdowns. Come they had an outage. Yeah. plant. He'd come down. He knew exactly what needed to happen. That's right. That's cool. And uh, they lived in Baton Rouge. Yeah. You know, he just drive to the nuke plant every day. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Ah, I say I say that. I'm sorry. They lived in Vicksburg when that happened, but then we went to Waterford Nuclear, and they lived in Baton Rouge. And that's when I was. Yeah, you you were, ma- you were making yeah. that. Yeah, you we left water. We left travel. Vicksburg and went to. Waterford and yeah, but uh, anyways, so all that and um, I managed that for a while. Did those did, did that type of work and I kind of tapped out after my third one. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I was like, it's not a good life. It's yeah. just not. So it brought me back to Mobile, uh, right where I was from, and decided to put me on the Marine fleet. And I got really heavily engaged in the Marine business. Yeah, barging and uh, barge cranes, super heavy lifts on the water, stuff like that. And uh, figured out that all the stuff happening on the water at the time, which the co- economy still hadn't really recovered, but everything that was happening was happening in South Louisiana. Yeah. And uh, that's when they decided to move me to Louisiana and put me over that startup and office there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So you're in Louisiana, and when did you – like, so – Obviously, and I know we talked about before. You're married now, you know, two kids. So when did uh, so you were dating a girl when you were in Vicksburg? When did Courtney? Oh, excuse oh, yeah. me, I don't mean to. <laughs> uh, your wife, your lady, uh, come in the mix there. Well, so after I left Vicksburg and uh, finished up there, and kind of decided that I was wanting to come back and do something significant, it's probably two years later. I stayed in I stayed in Mobile for about two and a half years, three years, and her and I met and got married. Yeah, and had our firstborn in Mobile. Yep. Remember and that. then I was offered the position in Baton Rouge, Geismer specifically. Yeah. So you guys packed it up. Yeah, I mean, she was she was hundred percent with it, man. She's like, whatever you got to do for your career at the time. And uh, she didn't, she had just graduated college. I'm five years older than her, six years older than her. And uh, she had just graduated college. I was 29, 30, I think. And I was offered that position. And it was a, it was a pretty significant position. I knew it was going to really elevate my career. Yeah. And it was just a good opportunity. <clears throat> yeah. And it was exciting. Yeah. It was really exciting. I think it was exciting for her. And she, she knew she always wanted to leave Mobile and kind of venture out and, She's she's never been the type of person that was just really comfortable and kind of just hanging out and being stagnant in Mobile, like most people are. <laughs> in That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with all that going on, what uh, now? It's an adventure. What, now you have so just to go way back to kind of 
go with the overarching, uh, you know, just situation of just guidance you've received. Obviously, you're not walking through this journey alone. No. You've got, you know, two sets of great parents that, you know, at least I, I'm privy to know about. Um, and, you know, you have, you know, your your mom and your stepdad, Ricky, and then your father, Rick, you know. Um, but, you know, you've had two significant father figures that we always talked about, you know, in your life as you're going through all this, you know, what was their take on it? Well, let's, let's frame that up. So probably the first person to find out about it was my mom. Yeah. Whether I wanted her to be the one or not, I, it was, it was my mom and, and, and Courtney's mom as well. And, you know, nothing, I'm not, I don't mean to sound like a sexist or anything, but there was nothing against women, but the, the first thought in their mind is, is emotion, Right. And that was it was well, an emotion. They're, they're more emotionally competent than we uh, absolutely, are. Absolutely, absolutely. Like they are. Like it's not. It's you can call it a negative or a positive, but they have more emotional maturity about, or they're more emotionally uh, mm. in tune with the situation. Whereas I've been insensitive to the emotions of a situation. You probably have yeah. too. And you're like, wait, why are you mad? Yeah. Oh, oh shit. Yeah, you're right. That is kind of okay. But it was night and day between the conversations I had with my dad and my stepdad and my granddad and the men in my life who were my immediate counsel, and even you at the time. Yeah. Compared to the conversation I had with my mom. Right. Oh, I'm not going to be able to see my grandkids. And yeah. I'm like, well, well, and we're talking uh, about the right. move, right? The yeah, move, absolutely. Away from like, them again. I've been offered this position and offered this title and uh, offered this opportunity. Yeah. And uh, that's the way I really felt about it. And So you're getting a... Emotional response from yep. women, like, "Oh no, you guys are gonna be uh, away from us," you know. It, it is not, and not, it's not negative. They're yeah, just a, they're, they're cognizant of the reality, of right? Absolutely. Like, so they're they're like, Blinded. it's real. Yeah. Well, that's not they're it's real because it does proximally move you away from them. Absolutely. Right, and yeah. they have a fresh grandbaby. You know the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, what was the the male take on it? The your you know. Well, so, and it really helped me separate the two when I talked to my both my my dads. I talked to my dad first. I talked to my dad and I said, "Hey, man, here here's the deal." Um, and he he kind of already knew because he, he, I think, in his mind, Rick, in his mind, he had aspirations and and dreams of doing something bigger than just living in Mobile and working a, a job that he could get. And he doesn't have a college degree to this day. But building a career or a business in Mobile, I think he had tried just about every way, which way possible to do that, and it never succeeded. And I felt I felt that he had always been trapped or felt like he was trapped here in this town and had ties and family and all that good stuff. But outside of all that, I brought it to him, and we were able to really lay it out and look at it from a – your logic standpoint yeah and okay here here's the pros here's the cons um here's why i think it's a good opportunity here's why i don't uh, your dad's always been a pretty logical guy very much so yeah absolutely um except for when we were teenagers <laughs> and then he was kind of illogical <laughs> yeah. and i'm gonna yeah. get this story out here i wanted to talk about it last week but we're gonna talk about it right fucking do now. it i'm ready for it let's go so let me set the tone about this father that evan is talking about right now rick bradley Loves his son. I've known his dad since I was a kid, too. Just seeing him interact with his son, 
he cared about him being successful and was very hard on him. Uh, in a good way, obviously hard yeah, on him. I say absolutely. like just keeping a close watch on him, make sure he wasn't just falling off. Mm-hmm. Well, we, Evan and I, are fun people. I like this guy. <laughs> and, say that. And the curious and uh curious yeah, and fun. mischievous curious fun Aww. we we like to have a good time so uh, we were known to be the guys to have a good time in high school for some some people would say and uh maybe our last spring break ever in high school that people that came to us with monies mm-hmm. allegedly to absorbing an amount of cash a lot of <laughs> money for children to try to buy alcohol, so I've heard. And so we were the only ones that could get it. Because we looked old as shit. You had yeah, a beard in the eighth beard. grade yeah. and I have yeah. a giant forehead. And this is not a receding hairline. I want to get that out right now. And if you talk about it like Ryan Schaub, hmm. huh? Karma gets karma. you. Karma. Yeah. He's bald now. He's My he friend, always talks about your forehead. He did, now he's, like, he's got invisible hair in the back. Yeah, he's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> snuck up on him. Yeah, yeah. He's missing the hair from the top of his head now. My forehead is still big, but it's not going anywhere. Just to point that out, Mr. Male Model, Zoolander. So, with all that said, um, you know, kids are going to drink and do whatever, and we were doing the stupid drinking thing. And me and Evan, because we looked old, we could typically BS our way into buying alcohol. And once we got in somewhere, we would just laugh. You had a real ID, a military ID that you could go and BS. Well, I had my debt program ID, right, which is a delayed entry program. And so, like, I would flash that, and people were just so jacked because yeah. it was right after 9-11. Oh, dude. They were like, green means go, brother. I'm like, yeah, it does. Let's fucking get some alcohol and get That's this party right, started, dude. bro. <laughs> you know? And uh, so I, like, became – we became, mm. like, the alcohol peddlers, you know, which is terrible. Yeah. Whatever, you know? It, like, it's people my own age. It's not like I'm contributing to juveniles because I was a juvenile. You know, so – me and Evan spend several hundred dollars worth of money That's of all these of all these kids on alcohol, and uh, and he's got it in his truck. Yeah, they got our number on speed dial, waiting for us to get down the. Yeah, these kids are jacked, yeah. ready for spring break. Yeah. They know we're the alcohol dudes. We we're got we got it set up, you know. A truckload of alcohol, and literally a tr- his entire back seat of the truck he was talking yeah. about earlier that got smashed in the tornado. The entire back was just filled with handles of the cheapest gut rot liquor that every high schooler gets massive wood for. Like aristocrat vodka, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Old, just like just garbage liquor, just tons of. The big thing was forties. Everybody was like, "Like, get us some forties." Yeah, let's go to Mississippi get some forties. They got hot before you can drink them. Yeah, so gross, but we had. (laughs) So his truck's full of it. I'm at my house. I'm not thinking about anything. I don't. I forget. Like if it was early that day we bought it. I forget what the context was of the day. All I know is I get a phone call, kind of in the middle of the day, on like a Saturday or something, like leading into spring break before we go down there. I think we went down there on Sunday or Monday, and it was like the weekend, you know, there up. Mm-hmm. And it's, hey Phil, uh, we got a problem. He's like, what? He's like, the alcohol's gone. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? We just spent. Like half of our senior class's money yeah, on alcohol, giving us money to do it. Um, yeah. and he's like, "Dude, the alcohol's gone. Somebody stole it." I was like, "What?" Well, we parked at your house. Oh, yeah, no. After we bought. All right, so yeah, you lead into that part because mm-hmm. I'm fuzzy on that part because you had the alcohol in your truck. Yeah, well, we went to base or the the post exchange there at the Coast Guard base and all that, and you used your military ID. We bought all of it, um, all that, and then we actually went to another place that just didn't care if we were underage and bought it. 
And then we get back to your house, hung out, kind of took account for it all. And then I went back to my house, went to sleep. Woke up the next morning and did some things that morning. Afternoon came around. Still had it in the back of my truck. Uh, got back to my house and looked at my back seat, and it was gone. Like, <laughs> gone. Every bit of it. And this isn't just a little amount. It, it was like boxes and crates full. It was gone. Uh, and I... For whatever reason, it just noticed it. So I first person I call was the place where I, I think I spent the night at your house that night. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You spent so the night. Yeah, so you spent said, the, that hey night man. at my house. I said, "What the heck? Did you take all of it out?" And I didn't even glance in the back seat of my truck or whatever. And uh, until that point, and, uh, did you ask my I, dad? Did yeah. you come over to ask my well, dad? I came back to your house and asked you about it. And I said, "What yeah. happened?" Yeah. And you were like, "I don't know. Maybe my." Dad found it and took it out. I I don't know. So we started like looking through all the stuff. So, your by, house. so by the way, we're we're trying to ask my dad without letting him. Yes. Know, tipping him off. It's so best, we're like best. I got this. I got yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. You're. <laughs> Carl is your dad. Carl is sitting out in his driveway talking to the neighbor. Yeah. And they're out there drinking a beer, and me and you walk out there and we're like, "Hey," he's like, "Hey, what's going on?" He said, "Uh." What are y'all doing? And you looked at him and said, Hey, Dad, did you by chance find anything? He said, The hell are you talking? Well, find what? He said, Or you said, Did you find any, uh, did you see anything in Evan's truck that might look funny? He said, What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> he was clueless. And the look on his face was just—he like, was getting pissed. He's like, he was getting mad. He's like, like, what, are like you, what are you saying? Leave me alone! Like, yeah, yeah. So just the confusion and all that. So we clearly realized it wasn't him. Yeah. Uh, backtracked our, my steps that morning. Went to a friend's house for ours. Kicked in the door. Just knew he was the one that had to have it. Uh, he was clueless. Threatening with an inch of his life. Oh, that's right. Finally, yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, we're riding on the road and. Uh, <laughs> I called my dad. Stopped at the payphone. Called my dad. Payphone. This was before cell pay phones. Payphone. iPhones weren't invented. Nope. Had a Mo- Motorola razors weren't invented. No. You had the Nokia bricks back then. Yep. Just the, not and the big ones, but like the little the little one. purple ones. I had the prepaid one. Did you? Couldn't text on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like load minutes up on it. I called my dad from a payphone because I was supposed to be over there that weekend helping some stuff, and he said, "Uh, hey." What's going on? I said, nah, I was just going to see if we're still on for tomorrow. And he said, yeah, we're still on. He said, uh, matter of fact, I want you to come over to the house. I got something to show you. I said, okay, well, what is it? He said, are you missing anything? Dun, dun, dun. I knew at that point, I was like, how in the heck? So in that story, in that morning of, after I figured out the alcohol was missing, I was actually in the Target parking lot. And I got back in my truck. I actually bought a, a bathing suit for spring break. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, Rick Bradley was rolling through Target that day and saw my truck sitting there and was going to get out and leave a note on it. And dummy me. What a nice dad. Yeah. Dummy me, he had a key to my truck. Just so <laughs> happened, <laughs> he looks in the back seat and sees enough booze to feed a Russian army. Dude, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like this, the <laughs> amount of booze we had 
Because like we spent like probably five hundred dollars on the cheapest alcohol uh, because it was stacked to the ceiling. Yeah, it was it in was, my back seat. It, no it, lie. Yeah, it was intense. It was pretty heavy. Brothers that have like a strap or something on it. But anyways, confiscated every bit of it. I can imagine every bit. I like don't now know, that I'm like, talking about, it, I wonder how pissed he was every time he picked up a box full of like booze. I bet he was just like, dude, it was pa- it was like crates of booze. Yeah. And some were like boxes of just Jack Daniels or Jim Bean or Evan Williams, just boxes. Like, we just bought as much quantity bulk liquor as we could get. Yeah. So, I don't know what he's thinking. He grabs it all out of my truck, puts it in his truck, and just goes back to the house. And uh, by the time I figure out it's gone, we had done loop back around, traced all our steps. Anyways, I get that call, or I called him. And immediately knew it was him. So I come up with the story of, okay, Phil bought every bit of it because he has a military ID and you only have to be 18 years old to buy it on a military base. I am not aware of this story, just to be clear. Yeah. So where we left off was my dad didn't take anything <laughs> because he was getting pissed. We kept yeah. hounding him about it. Evan and I couldn't locate it. So I went back home to my parents' house because I'm a child at the time. We we're both children in high school. And Evan and talked to his dad had this conversation. So I don't know what's happening. He's having this conversation with his dad. Proceed. Yeah. And Phil's unaware. So I come to Phil and I was like, hey, look, bro. I, I need you to do something for me. He, I said, I figured out where all the alcohol went. He said, where? I said, my dad got it. So said, I need you to do something. I said, the only way we're going to get it back is if you go over there and fess up to buying it. Because you're in the military, and I'm telling you right now, my dad respects the military deal. He did. He always liked you. Like, yeah. has always liked you. He's a Phil, man. That dude's got – he's squared away. He's in the military. You know, he, he knows what he's doing in his life. So that, just at to that be point. clear, but that's you claimed no culpability. I did. I was in my truck. Other than that, you were helping trans- me carry yeah, it. And I was, just, I was, I was the purchaser of said alcohol. Hey. Possessions nine tenth. Yeah, like, yeah, or, or yeah, yeah. Not with Rick Bradley. No, like, it's right, not. So yeah. Phil, Phil. So essentially, he took me as the uh, the elder in the situation. By the end of the phone call, I was innocent in his eyes. Yep. So, yep. or at least I. <laughs> at least I. You were loosely innocent. Yes. So you were we, just aiding my. And my I don't think I even sprung this on you till we were in the driveway. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Okay. So I'll go ahead and lead up from here. Yeah, go ahead. So I, tell, I get a phone call from Evan. Hey, man, I got the alcohol. I need you to come meet me in my house so we can get it. And I never, I think it's the first time I've ever been to you your dad's. You were just thinking, like, we're going to help load it. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's the thing, it's the first time I've actually been to your dad's house. So I've never been there. <laughs> and you're like, you give me that. So I, oh, yeah. I show up, and you're like, hey, here's the deal. Uh, so I told my dad, you bought all the alcohol, and it's your alcohol, and I was just yeah. holding it for you. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? And, uh, and like, I know I've met your dad, and like, your dad's a serious guy. Very, he takes very. he takes being a man serious. He takes yeah. getting your shit done serious. Like I like your dad, but like your dad's a serious kind of guy, right? Yeah. Um. But like I knew he doesn't fuck around, mm. and so like now I'm in a situation where I have fucked around and I have infringed in Rick Bradley's. Uh, well, I've kind of I've kind of his words were. I've, I've, I pissed in his Cheerios a little bit. I'm trying to like Phil, wrap my head. Yes, he said if Phil was man enough to buy it with his military ID, he needed to be man enough to come get it. Yeah, you told me that. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> is he going to fight me? I was like, I was so nervous. I was like, what does that mean? One man enter. Uh, yeah. I was One like, man fuck. leave. <laughs> I got to come to his house and he said that to you? I was like, 
fuck? Uh, I, 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 I had no idea what he was going to do in, to me. That intimidated no me Dude, when he said it. It was terrifying when you said it to me because I had seen what your I seen your dad. Like your dad's like he's like a short, stocky guy. Yeah, very. But like I'd seen him like fucking barking at you in football and trying yeah. to make you better and stuff like that. Just he's an intense dude. And I was yeah. Like, what in the fuck? I thought he was going to beat my ass or something to get the alcohol back. I was going to have to like live <laughs> through like a beating to get the alcohol. I didn't know what we were going to have to do to get it back. Yeah. But what we did was worse. Very. It was worse. It was yeah. so humbling. I felt as small as an ant. And he was like, well, Phil, let's talk about this alcohol. Yeah. Man enough to get all this alcohol. Come on. In. I got some scripture I want you to read with me. And he brought me into the garage. The house. Yeah. 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 We oh, sat yeah. on the steps in our garage. Yeah. And he read me scripture and pulled out the Bible. Pulled out the Bible, yeah. an actual Bible, and uh, read to me, which 100% get where he's going. Like, that's actually, in my head, I thought it was going to be a ridiculous situation where, like, I thought I was going to have to fight a grown man. And, like, if I survived, he would, like, let me take the alcohol back bloody. Man. But instead, he, like, fucked with me as a person. Yeah. And was like, oh. Let's talk about why you're messing up your life. And honestly, I, I don't think I could have handled it any better. Like that was really the move. Yeah. He wasn't overbearing about it, and he could have mm -hmm. been. He had every right to be. He could have smashed all that alcohol in front of me and said, oh, dude. said, "Eat it." I asked him about that later on. He said, "You, I can't tell you like up leading up." To I bet he had. House, I bet he had all kinds of like thoughts. Yeah, different scenarios, all that kind of stuff. But he said, you know. I, think, I guess from past experience, and he never told me this. And, uh, you know, maybe it was his own experiences and throughout high school or whatever with his own dad. His, his, when he was born, his dad was 50 years old. Really? Yeah. I yeah. His dad married a woman that was 20 years younger than him. Um, or, I'm sorry, yeah. His dad married my grandmother, which was 20 years younger wow. than, than I him. Wow, I know that, yeah. So... It was, a, it was a weird dynamic, and my dad's dad died when he was 24. Damn. Yeah. Now, we'll get into that later, but regardless, so th there's a lot of things that he missed out on. Yeah, he had an old dad. Yeah, he had an old dad. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, we, we'll talk about that. Now, that's something I do want to talk about, but regardless was he, he told me later on, he's like, hey, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've when I, we were sitting there before you got there, I, I thought about just dumping all that alcohol out, whatever. He said, but I wanted to hear your side of it. He said, I want to hear Phil's side of it too. And just, I'll say this, the logic and just from a from a fairness standpoint. Dude, that was a, like he was more than fair there. My dad, whatever it was, whatever situation it was, he always told me, he's like, look, as long as you don't lie to me, no, or, we didn't or cheat me yeah. or do whatever. He's, I will always be on your team. Yeah. I will always be fair to you. He said, I will do the right thing. And that's that's always been the case with him, man. So I asked him about that later on. He's like, I can't tell him. As soon as I went to my head, we're just getting the bat out there and just crushing it I all. I didn't even think about it. I was like, I think about it now. I'm he's like, like man, I he thought would have been 100% <laughs> okay to like make me sit there <laughs> yeah. and like fuck with me and be like, this alcohol right yeah. here and just pour it out. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he said, man, I went through the, the longevity of it and thinking, like, what, what would impact you most as a, as, a, as a man? And not just be And he always used the term reject, man. Rejecting. Like, I, like yeah. I didn't reject what he did. No. I, I, I appreciate it. Like, we still talk about it. We laugh about absolutely. it now. But, like, it still resonates with me now. And now we're talking about it. I've really kind of, you know, think about it. It's not a uh, – I think if he had went about it in a real aggressive way and, like, just smashed it and told yeah. me to, like, eat shit. Made the decision for us because 
like we weren't old enough to or here's what here's what his words were he said i could have made the decision for you and just destroyed it all he said but and this is horrible because you're thinking about liquor right yeah. you're going to you're just going to get brain dead drunk like spring break but he said i could have made the decision for you right there and he said and i wasn't expecting like i knew you weren't going to like smash it or destroy it there if i left it up to you but he said i wanted to hear your side of it one yeah. He said, so So you're a man at this point. We were 17, 18 years old. Yeah. We were, we were, no, we were both 18. Yeah. We were already over 18. Yeah. yeah. So he said, you're a man at that point. He said, you're going to live with your decisions. He said, so regardless of what happened, he said, if you were whatever happened was going to happen after you left with that alcohol, he said, I can't stop you from doing whatever you want to do at 18 years old. So long story short, he said, so you had to make the decision. And he said, I wanted to hear your side of it. Yeah. And I wanted to, to for all of us to make an agreement. And then he said, I wanted you to know how I felt. And that's where the scripture and all that stuff came in. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a super composed way to deal with that it situation. It was, man. It was. I don't know and that I, I could have had it. that composure in the same situation. No, because, like, I, I think about it now. Because I'd have been like, fuck you, you little, little yeah. shit. Like, no. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. this alcohol, right? Just, like, just poured it out in front of you. Just to be like, what are you, like, no. You yeah. know what I mean? So, in a lot of the situation, I think, was... And where my parents differed from a lot of other parents that I saw were it drove the kids away or it drove them in a different direction. And they had those blinders on where, you know, screw this. I'm going to do what I want to do, destroy the alcohol, whatever. Yeah, you destroy the alcohol, but they're still going to go to spring break or whenever they get out from under your thumb, they're going to go do what they want to do. Yeah, the shit's still going to happen. Like, But, man, I tell you, living with that and thinking about that, time after time i don't know i can't really articulate well enough how that made sense but to me at the time and even now as a man i'm thinking like he handled that the best way i know anybody can handle that i, I it, regardless it, it was, it that's was like, the story you know it was yeah so that is the story so i mean we'll leave the rest of it up to whatever yeah, but i'm just saying <laughs> it was yeah so back to so just to give you a scope of just to give you a scope of who his you know rick bradley was that was the kind of guy yeah. we were dealing with who was giving him guidance in the situation. As we were loading it back in our truck, we felt about two inches tall. Oh, my God. That was the longest, like, and couple that of minutes of my life. probably sat with me the whole spring break to think, I don't need to do anything dumb dumb, and mess up and Especially to prove like, my dad wrong. Right. Or right. right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. right. Wrong to give us the yeah. ability to make a decision and right and that we'd make a dumb one. That stuck with me longer than what some of the other people's parents did was just ruling the authoritarian way and like no, and then they just rebel when they're not looking. Yeah, you know, I, my, my my parents had a uh, wasn't the same. It wasn't as involved, but my dad had a very logical approach. It was so logical, it was so weird because it was just like don't get caught. Like if it's not, like if you don't get caught, then you're obviously not doing anything that bad. That's like it, it was, a, it was a good, That's it was true. a good standard. It was just like if you get caught, like your grades are good, you're doing good shit. Like if you get caught and like your grades are fucked up, like if you're not a problem to anybody else, then I don't care. Like you abide by my rules. You get home when I tell you to get home. Well, that's the way the real world works. It, it, it gave me real, pretty much real world rules as my a kid. My boss doesn't care what time I come into work. Yeah, it's you're, really? as long as you're getting, like, yeah, you're, you're as long like, as you get your shit done, you're. I don't care. It was real world rules. It was like, 
Straight A's. Okay. Yeah. Already set to go to the military. I'm not asking you to pay for my college. All good there. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just. It's basically managing 5% of your, the 5% managers, right? Yeah. They manage the numbers you produce and the problems that you have. Yeah, oh, 100%. That's yeah, yeah. Probably about 5% of my job. Well, th- that's why when the one time I may or may not have got arrested, uh, <laughs> I was already 18, right? And so they were like, but they knew it was high school spring break, hey. and the cops were like, call your parents. And I was like, fuck you. I'm not calling my parents. <laughs> I was like, I'm 18. You can't yeah. make me call my parents. I'm an adult. I will stay here as long as you make me. Mm. I'm not calling. Big Carl or Big Deb. I ain't calling. Ain't mm. happening, dog. Nope. They didn't know about that thing until years later. Mm. They had no idea because I was like, I told the cops, like, I'm here. Not calling parents. We ain't doing that. Not today. Right here. I got four, four days left on spring break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I got a few days, player. You're like, I'm here as long as you want us to be here. Let's yeah. do it, you know? But, uh, yeah. So I was Again, like, that was before the days of cell phones and constant communication with parents yeah. oh like, absolutely because it was that was two back days when you without to, calling my parents you had to rely on somebody just like i'll meet you there yeah absolutely like it wasn't like i could like people don't know that cancel in between there was no canceling in between because there weren't like yeah I, if, if we made plans we had to stick to those plans well, because I, you didn't have an option you're right and but to put that in perspective is even nowadays though you you, you can't cancel in between or you can cancel in between now or just times. Or just shit. times. You're right. But the fact is, the communication barriers back then was you couldn't cancel in between, but you also couldn't make plans in between. Yeah. And you couldn't have other people making plans in between. So there was essentially less plans, I yeah. guess you would want to yeah, say. Yeah, 100%. So less plans, less less involvement from other, you know, whatever. But nowadays, you got, all right, well, so-and-so called me, and I need to go here now. I need to call them, let them know. Well, no, 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 now. And you got about a, sp- a spider web of plans or yeah. engagements. It's just life's gotten more complicated. Uh, it's busier, easier, and more complicated at the same time. Uh, absolutely. Oh, I was so, going to say easier, but complicated. So I'm going to lead that with, so that was Rick Bradley. Yep. So let's talk about Ricky. Ricky, Ricky okay. Carlson. So my mom and my dad were divorced at a young, or divorced during my life at a young age. Yeah, um, I was four years old, and then my mom married, re, or sorry, remarried a guy named Ricky, mm-hmm. which my dad's she name went from is Rick, Rick to yes. Ricky. So she's got a type. <laughs> I can never. She's never got a type. Yeah, uh, for, and completely opposite looking. Opposite human yeah. beings, but she yeah. likes a certain name. Name, yeah, she for likes sure. a name. So uh, very comical. But I can remember people in the story, uh, or I'm sorry, in the store after she got divorced and had been remarried. She's like, "Yeah, I married uh, Ricky," and they're like, "Oh, y'all got back together?" Oh shit! <laughs> she's like. Oh, I bet that was no. confusing. People are like, yes. yeah. Oh, I very, bet that was confusing. Very confusing. Especially oh. like small town. Everybody. Anyways, long story short, uh, or back to topic here. So, Ricky. Yeah. So, my introduction to like hanging out with Evan <laughs> and Ricky, I'll lead this to another story just to talk about like kind of the character who his stepdad was, who helped guide him through all this stuff. Great dude. You know, like I said, like I, I know his dad and his stepdad, and they're both. I think Evan's very lucky to have two positive mm. father figures in his life. Just tremendous men, both of them. D- 
different the way they approach things. Like his dad, Rick, is straightforward, not necessarily smiling at you, but like you know he's got your best interest. Uh, you know. Yeah, he's not scared to be a little bit abrasive. gets more in the business quicker. Correct. Ricky, on the other hand, is he observes a lot and will give you guidance when needed. Yeah. Um, and it's really good guidance. And he's a really good listener. He's a good communicator. Very good communicator. And so and so is my dad. I can't take that away from him. But um, dad, Like you said, your dad is more of a abrasive direct like your dad's Very a direct guy he's not trying to package right. up and sell it to you no he gets ahead of it yeah he's like he's ahead of the this one step ahead of you kind of like hey man here here's no i know what you're thinking don't think that there uh ricky's more he'll listen to you yeah think on what you've said think about what he's gonna say give it to you and it's really good yeah no dude like so one of the first time so First time I stayed stayed over when we were kids, me and Daniel did, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. First time you stayed at my so house. So, like, yeah. So, they had this, like, compound, <laughs> this, like, hillbilly compound. This oh, come on. Not, now. Hi- not hillbilly. I'm just joking. But it was, like, they it's have a, a little yeah. hillbilly. No, you got a farm. Like, you had a farm. Big, big farm. Yeah. Big farm. So you had a cattle. So, you had, you had cattle. Yeah. You had barns. Yeah. You had tractors. Backhoes. 100 mile fence rows. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a fence lot. Rows. You had a giant bass pond. You had mm-hmm. a catfish pond. Like, yep. you had a. You had a compound, right? Pastures, so, so everything. We were, so we were super jacked. Me and Daniel were super jacked to come out there and visit. We fished and did you know, cool stuff. And then, like, I remember the next day, I'll never forget for the rest of my life, waking up and, like, early, we were woken up by your stepdad, Ricky. He was like, all right, boy, biggest grin on his face. Like, it's like Christmas morning. Yeah. Like, I've never seen somebody happier to talk about yard work. <laughs> and he's like, all right, boys, it is your lucky day. And I was just like. <laughs> it's like 7 a.m. on Saturday morning, you know? And he's like, all right, boys, I know you. Like, pretty much, like, it was it was almost like a uh, like a sales pitch, but, like, it wasn't an optional sales pitch. No. It was like, all right, so go ahead and get your clothes on. We're going to go down the, the yard here. And eat, you eat a little something before you leave. Like, we got some breakfast for you. <laughs> we got some breakfast for you. We got some food you're going to eat. It's going to be delicious. And then you're going to get done with that. You got that good energy. You got to come out, and we are going to do what people come. He said this. He goes, people come from miles around to hang barbed wire. That's right. He said it. He said (laughs) those lines. He said those words to us. And I just remember, like, (laughs) like I just, I had never been on. I was like, what are we? uh, Uh, What? What? And like your and like we're still like foggy, and so we get up, and we're just teenage boys. So we're just like just meandering to the kitchen. Your mom's just. Your mom's the sweetest lady, and so she's like, you know, oh, you know, feeding us. And it was soup. You know, we eat a million pounds of food, so we're eating it all yeah. up. And Ricky's like, all right, boys. And he's just still grinning. And like, Hop in the back of the truck. Let's go. Yeah, rides us down to the end of the drive. And he's like, all right, I'm going to hang this bar where I'm telling you people come from miles around. Mm-hmm. And you and Daniel were just like, huh? He's like, oh. I remember he was showing us how to do it. And my stupid ass, I'm like, because I don't know how to like pull back from trying to figure something out. Yeah, I don't, I just I'm like I will, if someone's playing a trick on me, but they put a puzzle in front of me, and the, <laughs> the trick is the puzzle, I will still dive into it. I'm like, yeah, I gotta do oh, it. Yeah. And so Ricky's like, all right, get in. He shows me this thing. I'm like, yeah, hang barbed wire. 
and like learn how to twist and do all this. And dude, then you're like, what? And I'm like, you guys aren't good at this. I'm good at this. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah. I'm just being dumb right now. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like jacked. I'm completely like hook, line, and sinker for Ricky's pitch about hanging the barbed wire. Yeah. But he always let us come out and enjoy his property. Yeah. He never yeah. had a problem with it, and it always took good care of us when we came out and visited. He just wanted free labor. Yeah. But yeah. he provided a lot. I know. He yeah, he did. provided a lot for us. So I mean, like I, yeah. I enjoyed. Um, you had two. One was a hard line guy, and yeah. one one guy was a more malleable, but still still made you put the work in. Yeah. Guy like this, both of them wanted you to do the work with the same philosophy, but just had different approaches to it. So I'll, I'll say this: I've never shared this with anybody other than my my real dad, my biological father, Rick. Um. <clears throat> so he said he goes, and this was. Man, it was it was weird for me at the time. Yeah. But he said, he goes, I think I figured Ricky out. He, uh, I was about 10 or 11. He said, I think I figured Ricky out. This was after my mom being married to him for six and a half years. Yeah. After my m- mom and dad had gotten divorced, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking, like, what's he about to say about my stepdad? And this is the first time he'd ever said it. He goes, he said, Ricky is the mouse in the butter. No. Ricky is the mouse in the milk. And what? he said he likes the butter. he likes the how did he say it? He said, No, no, no. He goes, Ricky likes to butter you up. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like he's I noticed this about Ricky. He said, Ricky's the guy in there, he's the mouse in the milk, churning and churning his little legs and he sees other mouse or other rats up on the hill. He said, Come down here. Butter this this milk's great. He said he can get them in there, and they'll start churning with him. And he said, before you know it, it'll all be butter. He said, so he's essentially buttered you up. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I've never forgotten that. But it is true. Ricky, the house. I, I just told pie. you. Like, yeah. I, I just told you. Like, he could sell. He a, came in with the biggest grin on his face. Like, he had Christmas for yeah. us in the living room. Like, knew he had a lot to do and probably nobody to help him do it. He was like, I'm going to go get these teenage guys in there and figure like, out how oh, to. Oh, you have to join the uh, fishing like, pond yeah. I got out there for you? I got, I got some lot. breakfast yeah. in there for you. Got Absolutely. some more fun for you. You got hanging barbed wire. That's right. Boys. That's right. But, he's, but my dad was like, he's like, I figured it out. He's like, because everything Ricky does is, is going to be great, whether it is or it's not. And and you believe that and just being around him yeah. is kind of great. Ricky's yeah. a great guy um, and, and ha- has always been. Yeah. But. At the end of the day, it's like, man, this sucks. But golly, dude, that freaky man. He's such God, he's such a great guy. Such a nice I l- guy. love him such to a death. Nice guy, but, yeah. but I'll tell you this. Uh, he came to me a couple of years ago. And this was probably right after I got out of the military. So it's, it's been a while. It's been probably about ten years ago. He said, Evan, I'm proud of you. And I said, <laughs> Why? <laughs> I mean, the, after the hell I put you and mom through, you know, getting in trouble, getting arrested. I mean, I was just, a, I mean, just stupid. Just, just stupid. And uh, he said, man, I'm proud of you. I said, why? Because of the military? He said, no. So I'm not, nothing to do with the military. He said, but he said, I can remember, man. He said, I'd bring you out here. And he said, you'd invite your friends out here or whatever. And uh, no friends in particular, but I, I think it was, I, I know who he was talking about, but it was uh, a friend of mine from Daphne. And uh, he said, I invited your friend out. He said, I knew when I made a difference in your life. And he said, I had you out there one Saturday morning. So I woke you up early, took you out there, and we were working on the tractor. Yeah. And he 
said, I asked you for a monkey wrench or a, a crescent wrench, whatever it was. I can't remember what tool it was. And you went straight over there and got it and brought it back to me. He said, I looked over the other boy you had over there with you that night. Because I, I was obsessed. I always wanted, we lived on a farm, and I didn't have, there was nobody for miles around. I didn't live in a neighborhood or anything. So I was always obsessed with, like, getting like people to come out and spend yeah, the night with you. You would abduct us. Yes, I would. I would. All right. We'll get into that later. Yeah, but yeah. regardless, he said, I asked your buddy over there to go. He goes, hey, man, I want you to go over there and grab me a, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, what? Some tool, right? Yeah. And he said, the guy walked over to the toolbox and looked at it. And he said, I don't know what that is. And he said, I looked at you. I told you to go grab it. You went back there. He grabbed it. He brought it right back to me. He said, I knew then you're going to be all right. I said, like, ah, well, I hear you. So that kind of, that stuck with me. And I knew, I don't really know how to frame that up or what, how to, how to say that that was his style or, wh- or that was his parenting method, but it did, man. I well, you had, you, I think you were saying you listened to him. Very much, yeah. Like, it wasn't, it was like he at some point told you what that tool was and like you yeah. knew you were, sp- yeah, if he asked you to do something, <laughs> to go do it when he asked you, you know, that's, you listened to him, right? Yeah. But, but dude, when he told me that, it, like, it pulled on my heartstrings. I was like, yeah. Yeah, man, I'm that's, sure that's, it was, yeah. That's, that's a big deal. Pretty gripping. Like, I was, he so, said, man, I knew I made a difference in your life. You've got those two guys now. You're uh, getting ready to move to Louisiana. So what's the guidance you're getting from them on, on these moves? you got a wife. you got a baby. So that's that's the gravity of the situation, right? Yeah. Um, going back to what we said earlier was the female aspect was, I'm not going to, you know, don't, don't move away. I won't be able to see you anymore. Do this. Yeah. Well, the, the male aspect of it was it's going to be a better opportunity. You're going to grow your career. You're going to build your resume. You're going to provide a better f- life for your family. Yeah. I don't see the downside. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I heard, I heard or read somewhere, you know, it's like that women care more about people mm-hmm. and men care more about things. That's like right. Things in the way that they provide for a life and That's women right. in the way that how people interact with each other. Hunt, man. You know, that it's just a, yeah, it's like. I know I have to care about other stuff so we survive. Women know that they have to care about us because they carry us. That's right. They carry us as humans. Um, and so they have to care about us. Yeah, we're still good. Still recording. All right, so yeah, so... They, they tell you it's a great opportunity. Your mm-hmm. mom isn't saying it's not a great opportunity. She's just saying she's going to miss you. Yeah, but also calling out the points of why it's not. What, the risks? The risks, yeah. 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 She don't want us to grow up without family. or And, and I, I do. I, I place a lot of weight on being around family. And I, I place a lot of weight on my kids knowing who their grandparents are. And um, the fact that I grew up in the same town with my grandparents and how good of a relationship I have with my extended family. But at the same time, man, it wasn't, life wasn't the same back then. Yeah. I, and I can honestly say that because, man. I, no, it was 100% different times. Bro, the internet wasn't even a thing. Yeah. Fuck out of here. Like, life is completely different. I can FaceTime, like, so. Yeah. I don't get to see my, my, my parents live in, you know, both of our parents live away from us. 
They don't get to see their grandkids, but I can throw their kids up, grandkids up on FaceTime. Yeah. And they can interact with them, laugh, smile. Great. It's not the same thing as hugging them in person, but it's a lot different than just like a random phone call to the house. Like it's just, it's so, the c- ability to communicate and have relationships with people at a distance, so different now. It is. It's a, it's so different. Like mm-hmm. even, uh, like in the military, like our friends are in the military, like, you know, Joey or Aaron, like Joey will text me from overseas. Like in Syria <laughs> or wherever, or wherever, yeah, and sorry, Iraq or wherever, you know, and like I, I don't know wherever he's at. He could text me like we could text jokes, and I'm like, and just talk shit to each other, and I'm like, this is bananas. Mm-hmm. Like when I deployed in you know, beginning of '04, end of '03, it was prepaid calling cards. Yeah, but like not in overseas though, not for us. It was for me. No, no, no. Well, you went in after me. You didn't. You didn't even go overseas until years after I did. It's true. Yeah. Um, but like when I was there, and even even after that, like I was in a SOCOM unit, mm-hmm. and so all of our shit was classified. So we leave under the cover of darkness. We return under the cover of darkness. There's no parades for us. Like nobody knows we're supposed to know we're deployed. Nobody's supposed to know where we go. Can't tell your parents. Can't tell your family. And and the only phones you have are big old school sat phones with big like <laughs> dildo antennas. And there's one per like platoon, and so you guys share it. Yeah. Like on different days. So like you and they're like it's a one way conversation. And so you call your mother, you say, where are you? And like you have your codes for like, if I'm here, it means I'm on vacation here. If I'm here, it means yeah. I'm on vacation there. And you say, I'm on vacation here. So how are things back home? And it's a one-way conversation. But like now, like, you know, like I said, I'm getting texts from Joey. Yeah. Just talking shit to me and sending me funny memes and stuff. I'm just like, what the fuck? It's so bizarre. Because I think about how different it is now mm-hmm. with like modern technology versus what it was. It's fucking crazy. But so, your mom didn't want you to go. Both father figures in your life are telling you, "Hey, man, career's good with that. Like, it's gonna help you provide yeah. for your family better. It, essentially, just it, it's a better opportunity for you and your family." Absolutely. Well, the fact. Okay, so mom. So, from a mother or a maternal standpoint, she was thinking, "Okay, you are my family." Right. From a. From a. My, well when I talked to the, the, the men in my life I got counsel from, it was, they were saying, Hey, you're with your family. Yeah. Like you, yeah, you got you, your tribe. You yeah. have your family. Yeah. You do what you have to do. Right. Don't, you know, we'll be fine. Yeah. You do what you got to do. We're going to see you. We're going to, we'll travel to come see you. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll make the effort. You'll make the effort. We'll know all that'll work out. Um, and I think just the, the, the maternal aspect or it's that such, it's such a good it is that's good advice man it I think was. so many people are so scared to leave the nest how many I was how many opportunities people pass up or leave I, and I did I did that joining the military and doing all that by myself yeah. going around working at nuke plants and stuff by myself but when I was married and I had kids and a family and I was responsible for other people I drew closer to my my family, like my mother and father, like yeah, getting advice. And if I knew something, like if yeah. I knew one of them was sick, we could run over to my mom's house real quick. So there was a, there was definitely a safety blanket there or a, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, a safety network. It was. When, you, when you have people, a support network close to you, especially people you can trust with your life who were in charge of your life, you know, that yeah. safety network, it's a big deal. It was a very big deal. That's yeah, a big deal. But to hear that from them was like, hey, We'll make the effort. You make the effort. Yeah. But 
do it. Extend yourself a little bit. It's not yeah. that's what that's what you're that's what you're supposed to do. So that was the advice. Yeah. And that's what regardless of Courtney's input or anybody else's input, that that's the when I when I seek counsel for those things from my father's yeah. my father's uh that's that's the decision I landed. And I felt like that was a solid decision. Yeah. I think it's good advice. Uh it was good advice and I I, I knew in my gut. You know, my unction told me that. Your and balls. It did, yeah. Between your, between your belly button and your kneecap. Thighs, yeah. yeah. Belly button, so. thighs, you got those good decisions <laughs> rolling out. Yeah. No, it was. It was. I was, uh, I just knew. I mean, yeah. I was like, That's okay, good, man. Yeah. This is what a man's supposed to do. And yeah. I, I really had that feeling. As corny as that sounds, but I was like, hey, I'm a man now. I've got to make this decision. It's on me. Yeah. It's my responsibility to take care of them. And that's really what it came down to. Right. So, and honestly, there's guys out there that make a lot more, probably, uh, I'm not going to say a bigger decision or, or something that weighs heavier, but something that might seem like it's more more uh, geography between the safety net and where they actually go. I mean, there's people that move to California every day. But for me at the time, I mean, my family moving from Mobile to Baton Rouge three hours yeah. away, that was a big deal. It was a big deal. And yeah. with a newborn and all that stuff. So yeah. it was new, but uh, I felt like I was very comfortable with the guidance I had. Yeah. So so you got in Baton Rouge. Um, you're working. Uh, you know, working. Yeah. We talked about the – Worked my dick off in Baton Rouge, dude. I remember because I remember you. I mean, I remember you're traveling a lot, man. Yeah. You're essentially working from scratch, building up that that mm-hmm. that branch, if I recall. And then, uh, and you know, then you know, I I'd moved up here. Mm-hmm. You know, I moved up here, and your wife had sister up here, mm-hmm. and her. Yeah, husband. we were opposing cannons. You, I moved to Louisiana, and you moved out. Yeah, literally, like we passed each other yeah. on the move. Um. But yeah, so you got a job opportunity up here. So how'd that, you know? Yeah, so all that panned out. Uh, I mean, loved Louisiana, and Louisiana was really good to us. We always knew that we would eventually want to come back to Alabama, I guess you'd say. Not necessarily yeah. closer to home, but we closer knew we'd want to come back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Courtney had a sister up here, and... Um, at the time it was it was a really good opportunity and this company came to me and i could see the writing on the wall in louisiana uh, yeah the company i was with didn't want to put the resources and just kind of the effort into building something down there yeah and uh, still hasn't so i knew at the end of the day it was really just going to be the same opportunity that it started with over there and right. the the job that and i've been with this company now for almost eight years yeah. Actually, almost nine years. And uh, I just, I told myself, I was like, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it now. I'm young enough to make the transition. Yeah. And I said, if I wait five years, you know, I'll be 40 years old. And I probably won't be in the same spot financially. Uh, or I might be better off financially and might be more settled here. So yeah. it won't be as apt to make a move, but also probably won't be another company as good as the company I'm with now making me the offer either. So it won't be as good of an opportun- opportunity. Right. So that was ultimately why I made it. And I got the same guidance from my father and everybody else uh, yeah. at that time as well. 
So you made the move. Made the move. Yeah. Uh, two two minutes down the road from you, matter of fact. <laughs> well, not at first, but when no, you guys were yeah. shopping for houses, which then, I still yeah. like to like poke fun at Cordy. And I'm like, I really appreciate you letting my best friend move in like two minutes down the road from me. Yeah, that's not why we moved here. I'm yeah. like, okay. Bullshit. <laughs> if whatever you want to say, I mean, I totally try to sell her so hard on why it's strategically located. I'm yeah. Like, it's right near the major interstates. Yeah. <sighs> That girl. But uh, dude, in fairness, though, I wasn't lying about no, those no, aspects. No, no, you weren't. Yeah, it was, it was actually a really good move. Like, you can get to anywhere you need to go really fast. Yeah. Right? It was a really good move. Really good area. You can tighten that uh, special screw on that part to make that not wiggle as We're much. Good. To where this just wasn't. All right, so, Evan, I think that's uh, – are you good? I think we covered everything. I think we covered everything from high school to military to professional life and marriage. Yeah, man. The dad aspect. So dad let, aspect. let me ask you this. Um, we talked about your marriage and your father figures coming out. Let's, let's just touch on since you became a father. How did that change your perspective? I mean, being married is one thing. Becoming a father is a whole, <laughs> another, whole other bag of tricks. It is. Um, mm. I mean – How'd it go? Oh, man, it's been so. I've wanted to tell the story for a long time, but I never will forget this. We're in the delivery room at Spring Hill Hospital. Yeah. With my firstborn. Yeah. Sage, and uh, both my dad and my stepdad were there. Yeah. And I, it's been a long road to hoe with those two, man. Like being the the stepdad and the real dad and dealing with the ex-wife and the the you know the new wife and her stepchildren uh, that whole thing has just been it's been an it, up and like down thing families are complicated enough they are they are like if you have a single parent house like you just have like two your standard family setup yeah. okay that's complicated <laughs> right you could run into a lot of problems with that now split them in half and try to make them all agree that's right you so, know like so up until this point you know and we so since I was probably be 14 or 15 years old, they never really had to deal with each other. Right. So now I've got a kid and a family and all that, and I'm grown, I'm back in Mobile. Right. Uh, they got to deal with each other. Yeah. So they're they're at the hospital all together. And, uh, yeah. They <laughs> so I got my dad, my stepdad, my stepmom, and uh, my mom. And uh, Sage was just born, and Ricky pulls me to the side, my stepdad. And he's like, man, he's like, this is just such a special moment. He's like, I never will forget thinking to myself that this being here, and I, I was like on on my toes here on the edge of my seat thinking what he was going to say to me, you know? Yeah. Really special moment. He's like, just thinking that this being here was once the sperm in me. <laughs> Dude, I just started laughing. Oh, my God. Like, I'd have died. Oh, it was hilarious. But, man, he was as genuine and as serious as possible. And he's like, <laughs> Poor choice of words. Yeah, well, poor choice of words. But the, but the, I know it. I, it was. I, I know yes, what. I know what. Yes. He's, I know what he's conveying. And I was like, and man, I could hardly like, help but laugh. But you I was could like, have ended up on a floor or a towel <laughs> or somebody's <laughs> chest. But here you are. Not, not the way his brain thinks at all. He yeah. is a. Uh, he's there's just never that. That's not. I like, know. There's yeah. no perversion or anything like that's that. That's not perversion. No, that, that's real life situation. But in my mind, there's a lot of perversion. Right? Yeah, so. yeah. It's like you could have been on a towel, but I loved you enough to make you laugh. But he's just and, and explained yeah. that to me, and he just kept going about the miracle of life and all that stuff. And I, man, it isn't it crazy I, you could accidentally does, make a person. Man. Yeah, it's the yeah, only thing dude. you can accidentally make. Oh, is man. the most complicated thing in the universe that we know about. 
and you can accidentally make one. Dude. But we couldn't accidentally make this room. No, I know, right? Yeah. The most complicated thing. Nothing can happen by chance. The most complicated thing in the universe can be accidentally made. Yeah. No. Bizarre. Regardless. That's bizarre. uh, He said that. And I was just, man, I'll I'll never forget those. And that was probably the the thing that stood out to me. But I had, (laughs) I mean, I've had a lot of guidance and everything on you know, yeah. from a father aspect from them. And I, I think that's ultimately where I'm where I'm at now is because of them. Yeah, for sure. So and, and one reason we're doing this podcast is because of them, right? That's yeah, it's you know as a, as we we both had good guidance. Absolutely. Know, whether express or implied in action, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is implied. You know, like my dad was not super vocal or like emotional with me. Yeah. You know, it was just like by his action and just telling me what to do and what not to do. But like as far as like direct guidance and like advice, pretty hands off. But he was always very like, like I mm-hmm. always was able to pull or, you know, deduce a lesson. Yeah. Just, you know, it just rolled that way. Hmm. You know. Man. But yeah, I think that, that sums it up. All right, man. Well, uh, what, are you, what are you drinking tonight? So any... Any poorly uh, stated segments or offensive remarks or um, just anything patently um, egregious on our parts, I would like to say is sponsored by Voodoo <laughs> Ranger. That is a new Belgium uh, India Pale L, a.k.a. Juicy Haze. Uh, it's a delicious beer. Big fan of it. Uh, I also like their Ranger IPA. Mm. This is a subsequent version of that. It's a higher gravity, I believe. Um, but, uh, yeah, so if any of you have been offended by anything we've said or if we've said anything that may or may not have been a little too candid, that's ah. brought brought to you by Voodoo Ranger IPA. <laughs> sponsored by that. 100% and sponsored NASA. by that. And NASA, <laughs> a uh, co-sponsor. Um do you want to roll in the second one, or you want to save that for another night? How you want to do it? I think we're good. Yeah, I'm yeah. pretty pretty wiped, and it is, is approaching it? Uh, the witching hour. No, okay. To where we will. Uh, I got a new hire starting tomorrow, so. I just got to be an adult tomorrow, and I need yeah. all the, the the rest I can get for that. All right, fair enough. All, all right, dog.